Hey, it's Open Threads. It's my podcast. I'm Brian Castle. Welcome to it. Today, I'm talking to my friend Tyler Tringas. He is the founder of Com Company Fund. They are an investment fund for startups, mostly software startups that are built to be com companies. So, you know, strong value propositions, sane working hours, profitable trajectory, you know, simple good businesses. That's what Com Company Fund is all about. And they actually invested in my company, ZipMessage, in 2021. And it's been a fantastic experience, you know, working with Tyler and the community that's been built around Com Company Fund. Hey, here's my real-time-ish update for you. And I'm recording this one on May 6th, 2024. First, I just want to say that once and for all, the name of this podcast, I'm sticking with the name Open Threads. (laughs) You may have noticed I had briefly renamed it there uh, in early 2024. I was using the name Full Stack Founder. Well, long story short, I'm sunsetting that brand name and that website. It was a short-lived project that just didn't quite stick. So this podcast is back to its original name, Open Threads, from here on out. Okay, so uh, my... So as for my update, uh, you know, my main focus now continues to be instrumental products. That is my product studio where I partner with clients mainly on UI and UX work. And uh, I specialize in designing modern interfaces for SaaS companies. And I deliver my designs in the form of coded HTML and Tailwind CSS templates and components. So that's the, uh, the main Um, service that I've been working with a couple of clients lately on, and uh, it's something that I continue to to really double down on the rest of this year. Other than that, I'm spending the rest of my time building out some new software products of my own to to add to my small portfolio. My main SaaS product, ClarityFlow, continues to run smoothly uh, with my small team, and we're always working on some improvements there. So that's my update for now. On to the show. So I want to talk to Tyler today about his transition of starting the fund a, a couple of years back and a couple of the things that he has learned along the way and some of what makes Com Company Fund different and unique in the startup environment. For now, let's talk to Tyler about building Com Company Fund. Tyler Tringas, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. We were, we were actually just hanging out in person, uh, what, like a couple weeks ago over at Founders Summit, which you guys put on. It's a great time. Yeah, yeah, just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's great to uh, finally have you on the show. You know, we've, we've known each other for a couple of years now, but I wanted to really dive into, you know, your work with ComFund, which, you know, I'm, Zip Message, of course, is funded by ComFund, and it's been a really mm-hmm. great experience for the past over a year now I've been in there. Yeah, glad to hear it. Yeah, it's been really awesome. And, you know, I, I don't want to like go through the whole backstory. You know, I know you've, you've told that on, on other podcasts. I always like to point people to Mixer G as like the canonical like story <laughs> of everybody's startup over there, you know. But I, I did want to like sort of because I think there are some interesting parts of the story of like, you know, first how you got into ComFund. It, it sort of like came out of nowhere a few years ago when, when you mm-hmm. started it up. But I'm, I'm also more interested in because it's been several years now what you've learned over the years and how it's grown and how it's evolved and maybe what, what has changed over this time. So 
Sure. So, I mean, you know, for those who are sort of just hearing about this for the first time, I mean, how do you explain what, what's like the explainer for, for Calm Fund right now? Yeah. So we're Calm Company Fund. We are like like many early stage investors, you know, we're a fund, we write checks, we give entrepreneurs capital to kind of build their business. And then we try to also help them succeed through a variety of mentorship, community resources, kind of the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. And the thing that makes us, I think, somewhat unique is that we're focused on a a different category of entrepreneur than what most people would be familiar with, which would be like a traditional VC, right? Which is which is making early stage bets and hoping that you build kind of a you know multi billion dollar unicorn. And if you don't hit that, you know they'd rather you sort of you know hit that goal or die trying along the way. And we believe there's a sort of much wider spectrum of of outcomes that entrepreneurs consider to be success. And we've structured our fund in such a way that those kinds of successes are also a success for us. So you know if you just raise a small round of capital, you build a nice profitable business, maybe you sell it, maybe you run it for a long time and take profits out of it. All those kinds of scenarios are a win for for our model, which is somewhat unusual in the market. Yeah, it, it is unusual. And I remember, you know, about a year ago when I was going through the process of exploring mm -hmm. multiple funding routes. I was sort of comparing just self-funding like I've been for the last 10 plus years. I was talking to several individual angel investors, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, gathering up several checks from, from multiple people. I was looking at a couple of different funds and, you know, the model and the and the structure of the investment agreement through ComFund, it was both like unique, but to me it was the most attractive. Obviously that's, that's, mm -hmm. the, that's the direction I, I went. It, it sort of offered the most optionality and it's sort of mm -hmm. aligned with my personal goals and most likely scenarios of going forward. So like, how do you sort of explain it? I mean, I, you know, I, I want to point folks to the ComFund. It's ComFund.com, right? Like the mm -hmm. website. Yep. So yep. everything, you know, you guys have a lot of really good content and, and documentation on how the structure works. But mm -hmm. how do you sort of like explain to folks in a nutshell what makes it a little bit different from a typical, whether it's a fund or taking checks from angel investors like yeah, how, how does ComFund sort of fit in there? Yeah, there's basically two pillars to it that, that you need to know. The first one is just what I pretty much just said, which is that, you know, our, like our strategy and our vision for what kind of entrepreneurs we want to fund is just different from traditional venture funds. It's also different from, I would say, the substantial majority of angels, simply because a lot of angel investors have kind of adopted this mindset of being like a, a mini VC, right? They're sort of taking the strategies and tactics that they read about VCs using and applying it to their own angel investing. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's just that, you know, they end up largely on average doing kind of the same sort of thing, which is, you know, writing checks in the hopes that you build a truly massive business or you basically fail and lose all the money. So, you know, we're trying to look for more of a, you know, singles, doubles and triples kind of approach to our portfolio versus the, you know, tons of strikeouts and one home run kind of approach. Yeah. The second piece is you hit the nail on the head with the word optionality. That's to me what, what sort of clicked in my mind. Cause like I was sort of going through this like crash course of the idea of taking investment and all the different options out there. And it took me a while to sort of like wrap my head and, and really understand what is the right fit for me. And it, and it did come down to that idea that like, you know, chances are I'm probably going to hold and go, you know, slow and steady with this thing. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, whether we would raise a venture round, I would say probably not. More likely is I would hold it for several, you know, mo hopefully multiple years. 
and mm-hmm. get to some sort of exit sometime in down the road. And I don't know yeah. when or, or what that would look like. Like the agreement for a comp fund and the numbers and everything just sort of like made sense. The other thing that you mentioned is that the, the network of all of the investors and all the mentors and fellow, you know, other founders in, in comp fund also made it pretty attractive. You sort of get the same benefit of being connected to individual investors, but through this, through this network and there's just a lot more of them. So, um, yeah, so that was pretty cool too. Yeah. I mean, it's a real like comp fund at the end of the day is, is very much a sort of scratch your own itch project where I'm trying to sort of build the support network and infrastructure and resources that I would have wanted to have had at the early start of my kind of entrepreneurial journey. You know, you probably are very familiar with it, you know, having been bootstrapping for a long time. It's kind of lonely. It's really hard to get like a lot of the mentorship and resources that you do get from working with accelerators and venture funds and stuff like that. You really do kind of miss out on that. And it can really accelerate your journey to have that support network and help you kind of see around corners, not reinvent the wheel, all that sort of stuff. And you can, and I think you've done a very good job of like kind of cobbling it together, right? Through Twitter and through podcasts and through things like that. But there's something about layering in a financial incentive for everybody that just helps kind of bind it all together and keep everyone motivated. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I've said this to other other people before that like the the network and the mentors and, and just like access to the whole community and, and all that, like I wouldn't have joined ComFund just for that. Like still the decision for me to to take funding was like a financial decision. And I and I liked sure. it because it was like one check instead of gathering multiple checks and the complexity of all that. So, and then the, the deal terms and all that, and, and the structure of, of the agreement all sort of like made sense to me, but then adding in the network and the connections, because I, I have built a personal network sort of outside of ConFund with a lot of other people over the years, yeah. but yeah, it, it sort of just all clicked together. And then, and then, I mean, you also add in like the resources and the, and the you know, tools and discounts and things like that. It's, it's nice. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk in the other episode about Founder Summit, which was great to start to, you know, meet even more people who, who are involved in, in this community as well. So mm. I did want to go, you know, go back a little bit to your story, you know, for folks like, can you give us like a nutshell of like the, your previous startup? It just seemed like interesting to me to see someone like you go from bootstrapping a software SaaS, selling it, and then just deciding you're going to start a fund. It sort of just comes <laughs> out of nowhere. Like, it, like that is not a typical path that we see, you know, that, that sort of shift is, is really interesting to me. Like, yeah, I think that, it, yeah, it is, it is interesting. So a couple of thoughts that come to mind about that transition. So yeah, I mean, first, as you mentioned, I've been an entrepreneur for a while, had some, some projects that didn't work, some projects that did work, eventually bootstrapped a, a B2B SaaS business, ran it, you know, as basically a calm company, you know, built it to a small remote team, nicely profitable business and sold it to a private equity shop at this point, almost five years ago now, time is really flying. And so looking back on that, it was like, okay, you know, I was really frustrated that I had no kind of financial partner to work with. And I had experienced that really, really acutely actually with a previous startup in the clean tech space, where it was my first startup ever. I was working as like a clean tech advisory person and basically in finance. And I wanted to build a software company in the clean tech space. And, you know, this is maybe like 2011. And I thought, okay, you know, it was pretty naive. I was like, we need some, we, we genuinely did need some money. It wasn't really bootstrappable business. We needed like a million bucks to, to build this thing. And 
we were like, okay, well, it's software, so I guess we should go pitch VCs. And we started talking to these VCs, and we started laying out this plan for, like, we're going to raise a million bucks, and then we're going to build, like, a $100 million business, you know. And this was our game plan. And we didn't know at the time that that, that like, pretty much excludes you, right? They were, you know, we got, like, an interview at YC, and they were like, okay, but explain to me how this is worth $10 billion someday. And I was like, oh, it's definitely not. Like, <laughs> the market's way too small for us to build yeah. a $10 billion business. And so I kind of learned that lesson the hard way, that there's, you know, there's this whole network of financial institutions that fund entrepreneurs, but there's also a ton of white space where there's all these great entrepreneurs and great ideas that don't have any natural partner. So that was kind of frustrating for me after having bootstrapped the business. So I started thinking about that problem. And at the same time, I heard like, I think it's Kevin Kelly was talking about that there's like this 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 tiny little upper tip of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid, right? And so, you know, you've got like meaningful work that people will pay you for and all that kind of stuff, and you're going up and up and up. And the very tip top, he says, is it's something that maybe only you can do, right? That's like the most meaningful work you can possibly do. If you can find something that po- – it's, po- it's very arrogant to say like literally only I could do this, but sometimes you find something where the answer to that question is like, Maybe, maybe I'm like the only person who can really do this. And I was thinking through, you know, what I wanted to do next. And I had this background in finance. Like early on in my career, I was, you know, I was basically in an advisory role, but I was working with venture funds and pension funds and, you know, massive companies like GE and Exxon and Fortune 100 companies and things like that. And I really had a pretty good understanding of how that world works and then I took this complete hard pivot, like quit my job, learned to code, started to become a software entrepreneur. And so as I was thinking about, okay, why isn't there the sort of like, you know, our original pitch for the fund was funding for bootstrappers. It's like, why isn't, why doesn't this exist? It's like, well, maybe it's actually just that there's almost nobody who takes a hard pivot out of the world of finance directly into bootstrapping SaaS businesses. And maybe there's just not someone with those two skill sets that they can sort of combine and build a fund for bootstrappers. So that was kind of the hunch that I had. I was like, well, maybe this opportunity is there because nobody else can really do it. And so we just started just started working on it. And it turns out this world is very unique and weird in the sense that you don't really need any licenses or certifications or anything to to start what is it you know we're effectively a venture fund in terms of regulatory purposes and you just can do it like if you can convince enough people to to work with you on it you can just start it which is kind of awesome and and very kind of bootstrapper friendly so it's pretty interesting it, it definitely makes a little bit more sense to me now like seeing that tra- it's almost like your 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 pivot into into bootstrapped saas was like the unexpected turn in your career and and like you know, to me, it's like, it's like starting a fund like this, like coming out, you know, because like when I, I think the big attraction to bootstrapping software businesses, you know, like for me, I, I, I started to discover this whole ecosystem probably around like 20, 2009, 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. you know, discovering Mixergy, discovering like starters for the rest of us and like all these different like communities. And, mm-hmm. to, and what was most interesting to me was like how simple and straightforward it is. Like, build a thing, sell it to customers, yeah. you know, cr- provide value, make a nice, comfortable living, flexible, and, and do some work that you love, right? That's always been the most interesting and least complex thing. And, and I don't come from a background in finance. I've, I've never been interested mm-hmm. in like the, you know, like structuring deals and, and, and things like that. And I've built and, and sold several businesses and like the worst experiences of my career have been like 
dealing through that stuff, due diligence and like deal terms and all that, all that stuff. Yep. So like just the simplicity of like building and, and going is, it has been attractive. And, uh, there's definitely days where I miss that simplicity. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's yeah. so interesting for me to see like someone who seems like, like it's like one of us, like one of these builders who, who you are, but like have that background in, in finance. So makes total sense. Yeah, like getting into like the the launch, of, like what year was it that you actually decided? So when you sold the business and then and then started Com Company Fund, which um, I, so I know at the time couple, was was Earnest Capital. But. Yeah, there was a couple years actually in between, almost two years I think. So I think I sold the business in 2017, and it wasn't until 2019 that we that we launched Earnest Capital, which was oh. just, it's just. It's the same exact company for people who don't know. We just rebranded to Calm Company Fund. Um, yeah. What yeah, were we you doing in that we, two years? Were you like exploring stuff, taking time off? What did that look like? Yeah. I So I set this goal for myself of, you know, I, I sold the company. It wasn't like never work again money, but it was like, you don't need to think about making money for a little while money. And so I thought, okay, well, what's something that I could do with my time that I can only do because I don't need to think about money? Right. That was like the filter that I was using for trying to figure out what to do with my time. I was like, this will be an interesting experiment. What stuff can I do that will be fun and that maybe I can only do because I don't need a salary or whatever for, for the foreseeable future. And it, it took a little winding path, but basically I ended up sort of joining this startup called Maptia, which was like a modern redo of National Geographic. So it was kind of like long form, beautiful f- photography forward journalism with the same kind of topics, you know, conservation, anthropology, that sort of stuff. And I found this sort of, you know, website and found the founders and convinced them to let me join them. We ended up basically it's kind of hard to even explain what happened, but we ended up launching an ocean conservation nonprofit called Sea Legacy. So we, we ended up collaborating with one of the most popular photographers on the site, and they kind of came to us and said, hey, you know, we have a bunch of Instagram followers. We want to launch our own nonprofit so that we can do these ocean conservation expeditions and give away all of the assets and media to activist campaigns, right? And so we're like, okay, cool. And so we basically ended up taking this team that was working on this startup to go and help them launch this nonprofit. And we, we brought this sort of like SaaS mindset to it. So we, we built this like subscription membership product for people to make recurring donations. And mm. uh, it was kind of cool. Like you, you were a recurring member and you would get all this like behind the scenes content from the expeditions and all the photography tips and stuff like that. But it was very like SaaS, you know, focused, like with the funnels and all this kind of stuff. And pretty quickly it became like a real operation. It went from this little side hustle to like several million dollars a year run rate in a matter of months. And so I ended up getting sort of conscripted to go and be the the COO of this nonprofit for about a year, hmm. which was fun. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot, but I learned that, you know, the nonprofit world is not for me. So along the side, I was working on this fund idea and yeah, kind of right at the same time that I was thinking about wrapping up that that little tour, you know, the first couple investors basically committed to, to the fund. So, mm. so we were off to the races. Hey, real quick. This podcast is sponsored by Instrumental Products. That's my product studio where I and my small crew, we take new product ideas from concept to launched. I'm a full stack product designer and developer, and I love collaborating with fellow founders, creators, and SaaS companies to bring that spark of energy into new product ideas. 
Think of instrumental products as your shortcut to shipping that next idea and getting it into the hands of your customers as efficiently as possible. Got something to ship? Let's talk. Visit instrumentalproducts.com to learn more. So I, I wanted to get into, I want to sort of like skip ahead, right? So, so you know, you, you sort of cobbled together a couple of early investors. I want to, I have like basically two more questions about, about Com Company Fund. And, and one was you guys went through a pretty interesting rebrand. Mm-hmm. You know, you were originally called Earnest Capital, which I actually thought was a pretty cool mm-hmm. name. And then, you know, now you're Com Company Fund. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, first of all, like why the change? And I'm actually more interested in like, the process of changing the company name and like how how difficult is that mm. yeah so so the reason for changing was twofold the first one is i also liked earnest capital i thought it was you know i mean comics makes yeah. a lot of sense too and i i like the branding of like it's totally what what it's all about so. yes exactly so so with earnest capital i i mean the brand i think worked pretty well out of the gates folks liked it you know they kind of like got the vibe of it the big problem we had from a branding perspective that was really bugging me for the first year and a half that we existed was we kept getting defined as like not vc right we'd get defined as like vc alternatives you know people would put us in blog posts of like 16 alternatives to vc you know like what's going on in the alt vc space let's talk to tyler at earnest capital and i think from a branding perspective it's really bad to be defined as a negative right you you want to you want your brand to stand for something not to stand for what you're not and i actually saw this like firsthand from working in clean tech which used to be called alternative energy until some very smart people said this sucks <laughs> let's actually mm. take an adjective that people like which is clean and let's let's sort of rally around you know clean energy not alternative energy and so we kind of had that same mindset that's a really interesting way. Yeah, I haven't thought about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And it was really like, it was just massively defining who we were to the extent that it was also like getting confusing because, you know, people would, they would treat like what we were doing and I don't know, like Stripe Capital, you know, and revenue-based financing and all these things, we'd be in all the same bucket. And it's like, these are very different products. So we need to, we need to do some work here to sort of, you know, make it clear what we do and what we stand for. It's almost like the previous name was like, sort of like defining the fund, whereas the new name Com Company Fund sort of defines the companies that you invest in, which which almost like almost tells half the story, at least half the story right there for a newcomer, whether it's an, an investor or a startup. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. We wanted something that so once we kind of started the process of, okay, we're going to rebrand to something, we need something that we stand for. We wanted something that entrepreneurs or, or companies would identify with, even if they weren't affiliated with the fund. That was the goal, right? So nobody was ever going to say like, oh, my company is an earnest company, right? Like that, that means you're in our portfolio, mm-hmm. right? That's it. But, you know, this idea of calm company is something that a lot of entrepreneurs aspire to. And um, we, we didn't really come up with it ourselves. We kind of, you know, we already had this pretty sizable community from our portfolio and Twitter and wherever we kind of just kept polling and polling with different questions to sort of say like what what actually resonates with you you know because we want to just attract more people like you and calm was by far the adjective that that stood out the most so so yeah that that was the it was the clear choice when it finally came down to making that decision was you know calm company fund there were a million other things that we tried and you know this was there was no close second basically yeah yeah yeah. yeah. it's interesting i you know there's been some talk with with some of the people that i 
you know, get advice from and stuff about zip message, as, as you know, you know, we're sort of in the middle of this sort of, I, I don't know if I'd call it a pivot, but we're starting to focus in and, and start to niche down on, on coaches yep. and multiple people have suggested like, well, maybe you might start thinking about a, a rebrand of, of zip message. Mm. And I, you know, to be honest, like I'm not necessarily married to the name of zip message and I could see how it, it doesn't fully paint the picture of, of where the product is headed, but at the same time, the idea of changing the name and the process of changing the name and the fallout from changing a name sort of scares me. And that's why I lean towards like, just don't change it, Yeah, you know? And so like, I'm, I'm curious to hear like how it, 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 I'm sure it's different, you know, because Com Company Fund is not like just a single SaaS product. Mm -hmm. Like, has there been any, any challenge around like, you know, now you introduce it as Com Company Fund and maybe like in the, in the early days of the new name, did you have to like constantly go through like, we're Com Company Fund, you might've heard us known as Ernest Capital before, but now we're this name. And like, like I, I fear that like having to explain the, the old name and the new name for like a year plus. Yeah. So I'll say, I did say that the, the reasons for the rebrand were twofold. One is the, the one that I just articulated to you. And the other one is we got a cease and desist letter. Um, so, uh, oh. yeah, there, so <laughs> well, this is it. a big problem with branding <laughs> stuff in the, what's just called financial institutions category of, of IP, which is there's so, so, so many firms out there, you know, every little LLC for, you know, buying buying up some bit of real estate has got a name and they're frequently trademarked. And it turned out that some like retirement advisor in Georgia had trademarked the word earnest for the entire financial services industry. And we were oh, sort wow. of like confused by that because there's a ton of things like that have the word earnest in it, you know, including like earnest.com is like a student loan kind of site and stuff like that. Turns out like they were just suing everybody. <laughs> um, so, oh, wow. uh, so, so that took it from a, you know, maybe we should do this to, oh yeah, we have to do this. So, you know, to your point, like <laughs> it's not something to take lightly. And if you don't have that kind of, you know, external pressure, I do think it's okay to, to sort of wait in terms of how it, you know, the transition went, I think it actually went very well. I probably because I think honestly, and I can say this because I, I did about 1% of the work, basically Najva Sol, who's our head of marketing and an amazing branding agency called Scout Lab, they did 99% of the work and they just nailed it, both with the name and with the branding and everything. It was like, you know, when you get it right, it just fits and everybody goes, oh yeah, of course. Like, of course, that's what you're called now, you know? Mm -hmm. So we didn't have that much of an uphill battle in terms of that. There was, you know, some ongoing like hey you know what people are like what happened to your other company it's like oh it's still the same company we just rebranded blah 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 but on the whole it was not that much work after we launched it to be honest so yeah 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 i mean i remember about a year ago maybe a little bit before then i forgot exactly when the rebrand happened but like i think it, was, it, it, it to me is like sort of an outsider looking in it was like a more of an issue over a year ago and now like anybody that i come across like sort of basically knows it as com company fund, yeah. you know, which is, I guess that's the goal. Right? Yeah. If you're going to rebrand, do it well. That's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the lesson. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I did want to ask about like things that you've learned or maybe tweaked or iterated on from your perspective in terms of like being successful with com company fund, right? Like, so I know you're heavily involved in like the, the decision-making process on like funding startups mm. and, and also, you know, bringing investors in, but like, what are some of the things that like maybe you've you've like iterated on in terms of like the, the types of companies that you invest in or the 
the criteria that you look for or just things that make the whole thing run run more smoothly? Yeah, good question. So one of the things I think that I've learned as a, you know, so I mean, I, people might not be familiar with the inner workings of how funds work. Some funds, they have a real sort of decision by committee. You know, maybe you have three partners and they all have to give a thumbs up before you make an investment. Sometimes you might have a literal investment committee who's a separate group of people that have to approve investments. That's kind of more of a thing for really, really big funds. But in my case, it's just me. Like I basically, you know, I decide if I'm going to invest and then we pull the trigger. There's no kind of other step for that. And that's kind of a lot of responsibility. And so very early on, one of the things that I was very reticent to do was kind of coloring outside the lines of the thesis that we laid down. You know, we, we kind of gave this very detailed strategy for how we were going to invest. And part of it, for example, was like, we're only going to do very early stage stuff because, you know, once a company is doing, let's say, close to a million a year in revenue, well, you know, they have all these other options. They have you know, debt financing, they, they could work with VCs, they blah, 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 blah. You know, we don't want to go and compete with all those folks. So we're going to really, really stay in our lane. And I missed out on a couple of opportunities that would have been great had I had sort of the I don't know, confidence or whatever to stray just a little bit outside of that lane that we'd created for ourselves. So that's something that, you know, I mean, I think that's kind of a natural progression for investors is to get a little more confidence of when to when to break your own rules. But that's something that, you know, I had to learn the hard way <laughs> um, by missing out on some really good investments for sure. I mean, that makes sense, right? You know, I'm friends with a whole bunch of other SaaS founders and a lot of them are like much further along in terms of like multiple years into their business, yeah. but they are very much on the bootstrapper com company track mm -hmm. right but they're just multiple years into yep. it and you know maybe they're making some big investments in the business they're starting to you know invest in growth but they don't necessarily want to go the the vc route there is still that like gap in the in the market in that like middle ground so like not like you're not in like idea stage first year you're you're several years in you're past product market fit yep. but yeah you just want to sustain yeah exactly yeah and that's something we've learned is just that there's you know, the opportunity is larger. I think it's a little bit like, I don't know exactly how to say this without. So we, I think we overestimated the competition in terms of the competition being like other sources of funding as saying like, well, you know, the white space can't possibly be this huge. <laughs> there can't be this many opportunities that people are just completely missing. And it turns out there really are. So we have a lot of work to do basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, so how about like just the dealing with the volume of, I mean, you must get pitched all the time yeah. and, and I know you have like an official application process and all that. So like any, any tips on how you have not necessarily tips, but like things that you've optimized, whether it's your time mm -hmm. and the decision-making progress to, to make sure that you are getting exposure to the best possible opportunities. How do you sort of like sift through it? all? Yeah. It's a good question. It's the thing that that we have maybe the least dialed down despite making, I would say, huge progress on it. It's a really difficult challenge because, you know, I don't control the volume of inbound, right? So we can set up a system that, you know, does a great job of managing when we get 200 applications a month. But then if you know, a tweet goes viral or some publication decides to feature us or whatever, and we get 700 applications in a month, how do we prepare for that, right? <laughs> what do we do? I, time is still finite. So do I just give, you know, shorter shrift to each application and try to make decisions faster? Do we just let our wait time triple, you know, and, and start to fall over to the next month? It's actually very hard. And I've actually been trying to pull some insights from like industrial design 
because there's certain types of manufacturing that have to deal with this sort of thing where you have to build systems that are resilient to, you know, significant influxes, uh, you know, of capacity. But the gist is it's extremely hard. And, and I'm actually not, still don't feel very happy with where we are. The main thing we've done is try to bring a lot more systemization to our approach. I think that in general, most people doing early stage investing, be they angels or VCs or whatever, you know, the process is still very sort of, like too artisanal and handcrafted, right? There's a lot of like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to listen to your pitch for an hour, you know, we're going to meet in a coffee shop, I'm going to look you in the eye, I'm going to decide, you know, does this does this person have the right stuff, right? And I just think like we can do better <laughs> and we can be more efficient about it. So now we do have like this really rigorous application process. We push everybody to it. It's open. We don't need a warm intro or any of that sort of stuff. And we also have a pretty detailed external research process that we do ourselves so we get a lot of information from the founder and then we go and we check on the competition we check on the pricing landscape we do all that sort of stuff and we pull all that together into a research brief before i even meet with the founder and that's been the main like the main unlock for my time has been to have actually tons of work done before i even get on a call with the founder because i think that like my KPI is I want as many of the calls that I, like if I'm going to spend an hour on a Zoom call with a founder, I want 100% of those ideally to convert to term sheets, right? I want 100% of those to be yeah. great companies that I'm excited to invest in. And so we've been trying to sort of close that gap and and get to where, you know, I think we're at probably around a third right now, which is, you know, insane for the industry. The typical like angel or VC might meet with like 300 companies before they invest in one. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, and I could totally see how like just, you know, like the whole idea of like a pitch deck can be opt. It's just like a job, like, like a resume, yeah. like it's just going to be like the highlight reel and half of it is kind of made up and mm -hmm. like, you know, and you can't, and, and that's like not enough to go spend a half an hour, an hour call when you've, when you've got hundreds of these things coming, you know, I mean, it sort of like reminds me and it's just like any sales process really like, like my previous company audience ops, I went through great pains to, to make sure that like, cause I didn't really enjoy doing sales calls. So if I was going to get on a call with someone, I wanted to know like they were basically sold yep. and it was just sort of crossing the T's and, and talking to them. You know, like I, I showed the pricing, I showed them like a 10 minute video, like everything before they even ever book a call yeah. with me so that I just kind of show mm -hmm. up. Um, yeah. Same idea. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yep. That does it for today's episode of Open Threads. What'd you think? Let me know on Twitter or X. I'm at CastJam. And you can find the full videos for all episodes of Open Threads on the YouTube channel for this podcast. That's youtube.com slash open threads. One more thing. I'd really appreciate if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. That helps a lot. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next one.